Mark chapter 9, and briefly Matthew 17, the same account. Mark chapter 9. Now, the title of my message this morning is, What Can We Believe? Well, we believe the Bible. Not everybody does, obviously. A lot of people want to. You agree with that? But not everybody seems to be able to or is willing to, one of those two things. So I ask you the question, what can we believe? Can we believe anything or are we limited? Because I think a lot of people misinterpret this message, what I call a message of faith. I think this has been, hopefully this has been the central theme of my life for the last 40 plus years. Because to me, it is the biggest need of a Christian is to have faith in God, not as a collection of doctrine. We know this about God, but as a way of life, as a way you live, trusting in somebody that you've never seen. You've never heard their voice. You only have what is written in a book called the Bible to go by and to base your whole life on words that are challenged by scholarly people all over the world as not being accurate and copies of copies and so forth. And yet we subscribe to the content of what's here. We're willing to live like it's true. We're willing to act like it's true. We're willing to wait for its performance when everybody thinks we're crazy or you're overdoing it or you're cultish or whatever. That's what faith does. Faith accepts as true what is not revealed to the senses, what is not often logical, reasonable, or sensible. It's over the head of natural man. And he cannot imagine how you could lay hands on the sick and they recover and do that only because the Bible said you can and that we should. How can that be? Because his natural mind tries to answer spiritual things naturally. How can that be? I mean, where's it ever been done? Who can do this? And we say, well, we can do it because the Bible says we can. And God watches over his word to perform it. He's faithful. He's called the faithful God. And if he said it, he'll do it. Oh, I don't know where that's ever happened. It doesn't matter if you know anything. Our faith is not based on what you know. Our faith is based on what the Bible says and how you relate to that. You may be the only person in the room that has true faith in God. And if you do, it's because you have resigned yourself to live like this book and this content is true. And you don't balk at it. You don't hold back at it. You don't, I don't know about that. Because we'll go through those stages. But you come to the place where you say, if God said it, it's so. It remains now for me to be willing to live like it's so. Because remember, faith is always active. You're always doing something. Believe is a verb. It means it shows action. You do something. Faith being a noun, it describes what we can believe. Believing it is just putting it into action. There's a lot of people that want to believe, but a lot of people don't believe. My desire and mission is to encourage to believe. To come to the place where at the end of our lives, at the end of this journey through life, God will say to us, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Not well done, thou good and busy church member, but faithful servant. And the way you bring that forth in people is you keep preaching it. You keep saying it. You keep hammering away. Sometimes you get a little mean. Sometimes you, you love on them. But you got to say it because that's what God is going to use to save us, to deliver us, to rescue us. That's the only thing we've got that we can be sure of that God will do. God, help my unbelief because I want to believe. I want to be found believing. Have you found Mark yet? Mark's gospel. You know the story. Beginning in verse 14. And when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them and the scribes questioning with them. And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, 
were greatly amazed and running to him, saluted him. And he said to them, what are you talking to them about? What's this all about? And one of the multitudes said, master, I brought my son to these men. He has a dumb spirit and I wanted them to cast him out. And sometimes this spirit throws him down in the ground and he pines away. And Lord, sometimes I'm very embarrassed to even go out of my house. I love my son very much. He's my son. But sometimes I don't know what to do. I can't do anything with him. There's a devil in him. There's a spirit in him that just tries to throw him in the water, tries to throw him in the fire. It's trying to kill him. But that's what the devil does anyway. He just has a better chance with some people than he does others. So anyway, Jesus said in verse 19, whew, these strong words, oh, faithless generation. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And they brought him unto him. And when Jesus saw him, the spirit does what he does that often creates fear and unbelief. He threw him on the ground and he began to wallow and the spirit tear him. And he asked his father, how long has this been going on? How long since this came into him? He said, well, since he was a child. Sometimes it throws him in the fire and sometimes in the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Now, depending on what commentary you read, verse 23, which is what I want to look at, is interpreted differently by some than others. Some say that Jesus looked at him and said, if I can't. It's like, if thou canst do anything, help my son. If I can, let's turn that around. Believe. Now, see, I don't do translations. I don't put periods and question marks and commas and paragraphs, separation, so forth. But what if he said in verse 23, if I can, believe. Put an exclamation. Believe. He said, all things are possible to him who believes. That might be right. And then again, it might not. But if it's not, then we still have it as good as it needs to be. If thou canst believe. I thought everybody believed. Well, here's something that needed to be believed for. And here's a man who is before the, the power of all the earth. is Jesus Christ, the creator. There he is. I mean, everything you'll ever need whatever is right there. And this man said, if we read it traditionally, he said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible. There's nothing beyond what believing will do. Even though the world and the church world sets back and wonders at such a statement, God doesn't. If thou canst believe, or if he said, as I just said, if I can believe, or if I can't, believe. Just believe. All things are possible to those who believe. And then he cast the spirit out of that kid. He said in verse 25, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter to him no more. Now, the interesting thing about this little scenario here, if you look in Matthew 17, the other place I ask you to look, Matthew 17 and verse 17, the same story. Jesus added one word in verse 17 to his disciples when he said this. He said, oh, faithless and what? Perverse generation. Now, who's he talking to? Is he talking to those not his disciples? Or is he referencing to his disciples what the way we would say, I can't believe you all can't cast this out of that boy. I cannot believe that you cannot deal with this. I mean, have they done it before? Now, wait a minute, time out. Did he not send them out in Matthew 10? He did. Two by two. And he said, preach the kingdom of God. And he specifically said, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils. That's what he told them to do. He empowered them. He commissioned them. And they went out two by two and preached the kingdom of God. And, of course, when you preach the kingdom of God, you stir up the devil. And so you get a lot of opportunities to deal with stuff. 
Jesus said, you'll need to be equipped to deal with stuff if this message is going to have any power. So he gave them a powerful message, and he gave them powerful tools to deal with all the opposition to the message. Remember the disciples returned in Matthew 17? They came back. They said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us. Remember that? Even the devil is subject to us in your name. Now, here they are later, and here's a man that has a, a demon. They've probably seen it before, encountered the same thing before, and they couldn't do anything about it. And they said to him, Lord, in, in Matthew 17, 19, why couldn't we cast this thing out? Why didn't this devil respond to us? You know what Jesus said? Because of your unbelief. See, I don't care if you have done things before or 20 years ago you did this or 15 years ago or five years ago. Today is a different day. They had already done miracles. They probably raised the dead and cast out devils. And here was one that Jesus rebuked him for. He said, oh, faithless and perverse generation, bring him to me. Why couldn't we cast him out, Lord? Because of your unbelief. Lord, what are you talking about? So the title of the message is, what can we believe? Well, I believe God, people say. I believe the Bible from cover to cover, and I believe in the miracles and the inspiration of scriptures and the virgin birth and the miracles of Jesus. I believe that Jesus is coming again. And everybody just whoops and hollers and yells. See, we state facts the Bible gives us, this collection of, of truth about Jesus. And because we can quote it and because we hear it and we amen it, we assume that we believe it. But what you believe is seen in how you live. And how you live is a revelation of what's in your heart. That's the way it works. It's that simple and it's that complicated. After all these years of preaching on this subject, this is still a complicated theme on occasion. It's still difficult to preach and teach about. But in simplicity, it is this. God said this is what he wants us to do. This is what he wants us to believe. This is the way he wants us to live, walk, and talk. But you've got to get that in your heart. That has to be within you as a sure thing, a persuasion, a strong convincing, something that you cannot doubt or reject. You just know that it's true. I think we think that we believe what the Bible says, again, because we have a Bible or we read it, we go to a church that preaches it, we know all the stories. You even believe, you know, back in the back where it's a genuine cowhide, you believe that. We are accustomed as religious people, as Christian people in a Christian environment. We are accustomed to being convinced that we are believers because we agree with statements that are made. But that doesn't mean you're living like that's true. See, we often hit a crossroads in our life. God said this is the way walk in it. Amen. And then the opportunity comes to live that way, but there's a fear that what if it doesn't work? What if that's not exactly what God meant? Or what if I'm getting this wrong? And what if it, this could cost me? Every, oh, brother, wow. So and we begin to back off a little bit. We begin to withdraw a little bit. That doesn't mean you're lost. You may be fighting battles like that throughout the rest of your life. We all have to pull down strongholds, don't we? Aren't we going to fight and battle strongholds in our lives the rest of our lives? Maybe you grew up as I did. I was sick all my life. Sick was in my mind. Sick was a way of life. And for somebody to come along one day and tell me that you don't have to be sick, it was a more difficult hurdle to climb over than for somebody who had been well all their life. But we can do it. You just have to fight the good fight. You have to convince yourself, if God said this is true, then this is true. The Christian religion today is convinced that all these promises that are made to us are not really for this age or not really something you can really believe. 
They just express the awesomeness of God, and God wants us to see how wonderful he is, and not that you have to believe everything, or you have to lay hold of all of these promises. Oh, God could, they say. I mean, who would deny that? God could work a miracle. He could do whatever it is, this grave need in your life, in your family, in your body, in your home, in your purse or your pocketbook or your checkbook or a situation in the world or something that's going on. Yes. Oh, I know he could. This is Christianity. Oh, we know he can. Oh, he could. Yeah, let's just pray and hope that he does or ask him to do it. So if we have prayer meetings and we ask it, oh, God, you know, we see nobody's believing. Everybody's asking. But nobody dares say, Lord, I want to thank you that it's true. What you've said, you're going to do it for us. Prayer's over. Well, people would look at you like, what's wrong with you? We have to keep hollering at God. Or excuse me, we have to keep praying. We just have to keep on, just keep on, and, and our, our much praying will finally bring us an answer. That's not what he said. If much praying God answers, we wouldn't need faith. We just need to pray all the time. Just pray, 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 and finally he'll, he'll do it, whether you believe it or not. But it's deeper than that. Because Jesus said very simply, yet very profoundly, when you pray, believe. Think of it. When you pray, believe. Gather into your heart the truth of what God said and the certainty of its performance. And then get up from there, put a smile on your face and say, I know in whom I have believed that what he has said, he will do. Numbers 23, if he said it, he'll do it. If he spoke it, he'll make it good. He sent his word to do something and that's what he watches over to do. Whether people believe it or not, that's what he's going to do. It usually doesn't get done because people really don't believe he will. But he said it. God, I want to believe. Lord, what can I believe? I find that I don't believe much. I'm saying I editorially, we. I'm fine. We don't do well believing in our busy lifestyle. We go to church, yes. We sing our hymns, yes. We clap, yeah, 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 yeah. But we're so busy and so distracted, we give little time with our minds to the word and our relationship to it through the week. During the week, it doesn't factor into all of our decisions. It's not really a big deal whether this is the way God wants us to do it or not. I go to church, I sing songs, I do that. And so we don't do well believing. See, I could say this, the evidence of our quietness in worship means that, that we're still wondering about all of this. It's like, I'm not really sure yet. Maybe we should say what that father said to Jesus. Lord, help my unbelief. I brought him to your disciples, and they couldn't cast him out. Lord, help my unbelief. I know believing is required. That's what he was saying. I got to believe this. Can I believe this? See, the modern church might say, well, it's a good thing to believe, but maybe God wants your son like this for a testimony down the road of how strong you are in handling it. I don't want to handle it. I don't want to look at a problem every day and say, well, this is mine to have the rest of my life so that God will see that I can smile through it. I want this child well. I don't want to go through life handicapped or restrained or restricted. I want the will of the Lord to be done on earth even as it is in heaven. I won't be like this in heaven. I want to live as though I've been recovered that I'm being restored. That's what the word salvation means. And it covers a lot of ground. Salvation means healed. It means made whole. As well as saved from sin. It means your whole life with God. On his terms. With his blessing. Salvation. Didn't he say in Psalm 91. With long life I will satisfy him and. Remember what clause 16 in your policy says? With long life will I satisfy you and show him my salvation. 
Didn't David pray that in Psalm 51 a few weeks ago? About his salvation, the joy of God's salvation? It's not a just get through life and make it. It's a life of deliverance and peace and joy that God gives to those that never had it. And the basis for it all is this man or this woman that God grew out of the miry clay or out of the world's way and brought them to him. He begins to give them information, new information, a new way of living, new hope, new inspiration. You don't have to be like that. God will give you this. You don't have to be broke. God will supply all of your needs. You don't have, you don't have, you don't have, you don't have. He'll make you a good mother, good father, good. And everything is better. Listen, the benefits of God's salvation are progressive. You can't just say, well, I raised my hand and got saved, therefore, that's it. No, that was the beginning. It's just like your faith. Your faith is not a one-shot-and-you're-done type deal. Faith has a beginning, and it ends at your salvation. Receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You can't say, well, I believe that an altar prayer 40 years ago and therefore. No, it started there. We live by that faith. Every day you walk with it. It's supposed to grow. Your faith groweth. It's supposed to increase. That increase enables you to take in more of what God said from faith to faith. It just keeps coming. You never quit. You never back off. You never let up. You never quit needing more of it. Faith, trusting in God with all of your heart, has no end until you die. You won't need to trust God in heaven. Trust me with that because he's there. You won't need faith in heaven. You won't need hope in heaven, but you'll be in the presence of his love, which is greater than faith and hope. But anyway, back to where we were about faith and about the world's way the world sees faith and the way the world talks you out of faith and waters it all down. Well, God could, but he might not. Someone might say, you say that every week, and the weeks are not done. Listen, you're living in an age, you, you probably are sheltered here. You're living in a world out there, a Christian world that believes very little. They believe in concepts, ideas, biblical concepts, biblical ideas, truths that have been fashioned by the intellect of man to be stories that inspire us. Not necessarily accurate, but, you know, it doesn't have to be. Prophesy smooth things to us. Get the biggest cathedral in the world, the biggest stage, the best guitar-playing soul in the world. And get two or three or 20 or 30,000 singing, that's got to be God. Not necessarily, I would like for it to be. Well, I think of what Jeremiah said. If they had stood before me and heard my words, the ministers, then they would have, the ministers would have turned these people from their sins. You know what happens to the multitudes of people when you start dealing with their sins? Adios. They catch a hat, which means they leave. See, that's back when men wore hats and put them on hat racks, and when they left the room, they picked their hat up because they didn't wear hats in buildings. I'm just dating myself. I take my hat off and I walk through here most of the time. Now, if the camera's on and caught me with it on walking across here, I'm sorry. <laughs> faith is just a word. It's just a collection of doctrines. You know, our kind of faith, the Baptist faith, the Methodist, Presbyterian, whatever. It's just an assumed system of how a man ought to live. And because we say, well, this is the way a man ought to live, we assume we believe it. And we go through our life as this kid wallowing and foaming. We wallow and foam in life. We pine away in life because something is so lacking in our life that we can't get a hold of God for deliverance. And it's a very simple thing. It's faith. 
It's just taking God at his word, and not just verbally, but putting your hands on that particular plow and not willing to look back but go ahead. What if you die? Well, I guess there'd be a worse way to die. But what if you live? Amen. So this business about faith and what can you believe, what things soever you desire. Remember that one? Can you believe that? Can we believe that? Let me point out two things. The Bible has specific promises, and the Bible has general promises. We say that our faith is limited by one thing. There's one thing in this world that limits what I can believe, and that's God's will. My faith is limited by the will of God. God did not say, ask me anything you want to about whatever pleases you, and I'll give it to you. That's not what he said. I mean, the Bible is full of instances where that didn't work. You know, James says, you have not because you ask not, and then you ask and don't receive because. So there was something wrong that they weren't able to believe. But that's what the heart's all about as a monitor to whether you're really believing or not. Your heart will tell you. You may not want to believe what your heart says, but your heart won't lie to you. You keep searing it, it'll become deceitful, yes. But your heart won't lie to you. We'll get to that in just a moment. But take specific promises. God in his word has given to you specific things you can believe. For example, he says, I am the Lord who heals you. Now, we talk about that a lot. Or, my God shall supply all of your needs. Now, those are specific promises. They deal with things spoken clearly. There's no question about it. There's no reason here to have a conference or to gather a thousand preachers together and see what that means. It means what it says. Allow me, Psalms 34. Well, you could just about pick a verse. Psalms 34 is full of specific promises. Yes, but those were the Psalms. They were made to the Jews. Well, you've got it partially right. These promises were made to a Jew. You know who that Jew was? It's Jesus. All the promises are in him. Yes, and in him. Amen. So the promises aren't made with God saying, mm, no, I don't think so, or no. He doesn't do that. If he makes a promise, it's yes and amen. Because all the promises are in Christ. So if it was an Old Testament promise, which was all they had when they wrote the New Testament, they didn't have the New Testament as a book yet, so everything they wrote about promises referenced the Old Testament. When he said all the promises, he was writing to Gentiles saying that all those promises that God made were through Christ. You believe in Christ, they're in him. All those are yours, and they're all yes and amen. But anyway, Psalms 34, verse 12. What man is he that desires life and loves many days so that he may see good? Now, this looks like a promise being made here to me. And you know what? I like to have all of that. What is he that desires life? I do. Don't you? For a lot of people in this world, life is very precious. You know, I got a phone call recently. A man was told just suddenly he had a month to live. Now, see, that's a game changer. That's a game changer because he said, do you desire life? I do. I really, I do want to live. I mean, I don't dread going to heaven. Don't get me wrong. I've never been to heaven. I don't know what I'm missing. I live here. I'm told about the wonders of that place, but all I can relate to is where I live. God knows that. And he said, who is he that desires life and loves many days that he might see good? He tells us what to do, but it's a promise. You meet the condition. There are conditions, all promises. You meet the conditions to those promises, and it'll work for you. What about the 91st Psalm? He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow. That's a condition. 
It's a relationship that you must have with God, not once a year or once or twice a week, daily. It's a relationship. It's not a visitation. It's where you abide. It's living this life. And he said, he shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he's my need meter. He meets my needs. I will say of the Lord, he takes care of me. He's my rock. Four words describing God there. He is all of that. He is God in great dimensions. That's a revelation to my heart that inspires me to want more of him and to be able to count on him and trust him with all of my heart because of who he is. He's Elyon, the high and exalted one. He's El Shaddai. And he's God. He's all of that. What a revelation to a man's heart that relieves him from ever wondering if God can or God will. Look who he is. Oh, God. The wonder of it all. Of whom should I fear? Of what should I be afraid? If he is for me, who's against me? Didn't he say in that... 91st Psalm, with long life, he will satisfy you? Why, yes, he did. He said he will secure you from the arrow that flies by day and the terror by night. All the wicked, evil things in the world that's trying to overtake you and destroy you. He's there. That's for us to believe. Those are specific promises. Those are things you can personally latch on and latch hold of and hold on to. Look at verse 17, the righteous cry. And sometimes we do. The righteous cry out. And the Lord says, well, I don't know if I want to hear you or not. No, he said, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of what? Who delivers us? God. So we read these kind of things. And we begin to see there's a lot And I don't want to go through all the rest. Look at Psalm 37. There's so much in here that we can latch hold of with God's promise to it. I mean, God said he would do these things. Oh, you know, trust in the Lord. You shall dwell in the land. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you a new Bible, a side of beef. Neither one are bad. This is in your Bible. Trust the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. Commit your way into the Lord. He'll fulfill what you're believing him for. I read this the other day and it's counting how many promises are just in these two Psalms. Specific things. Or Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Remember that? Who forgives all your iniquities. Is that a promise you can claim that God in Jesus' name forgive me? Can you claim that? I mean, is that his will? It is his will. That's a specific promise. He heals all your diseases in the same verse. Why don't people believe that today? Because they would have to trust that. It's easy to trust God for the forgiveness of your sins. Nothing really is required. You just, it's a verbal agreement. Yes, I am and uh, I receive. But the healing of your diseases... Sometimes they're not yet healed, and you have to believe. And that's more of a challenge than the average person I've ever known wants to cope with. But it takes faith. The same faith that will forgive you of your sins is the same faith that will heal your body or restore your body or fix it back the way it ought to be. How about a specific promise? He crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. How about he redeems your life from destruction? How about he gives charge to his angels concerning you and he commands them to keep you in all your ways? Is that specific? I don't remember any trip we've ever made that we didn't pray that or something like that. That God would give his angels charge over us. The blood of Jesus would cover us as it did the houses in Egypt and keep the destroyer out and away from us. The highway before us and behind us. Usually while we're sitting in the garage or right, if we pull out. I want that. And I'm not hoping that'll work. That's a specific promise that is given to me 
To which he says yes and amen. Can we believe that? I know we can't acknowledge that. You amen, amen, brother, amen. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Do you believe that God will protect you? Do you? Wouldn't it be something if you came home on some dark night and there standing in your driveway was a 15-foot muscle-bound angel, 1,600-pound muscle-bound angel guarding your house? Hey, what's your name? (laughs) Whoa. But it doesn't have to be. You just have to believe it. There's many stories that I could give. It'd take too long. I wouldn't get done today, but, and I won't anyway. But there's a lot of stories about when people use their faith and, and the wonderful and mighty things that happen because they use their faith. How a man was going to kill a man one time and waited in the bushes for him. When he came out of the building, there was two big guys with him, and he got scared, and he took off. And he found out later when he got saved and talked about that situation the guy said, I didn't have anybody with me. They were angels. The guy couldn't see him, but the guy that was going to do harm to him, he had a gift of the spirit operate, the discerning of spirits. He could actually see into the spirit realm, saw two big angels. What would you say? I ain't scared of angels. I got a video game where we, you know, You better be because when God sends them to minister to his people, they also protect his people. They really, really do. And God said he would make sure that they did that. The Bible is full of specific promises. That's God's will. If God said something specifically, that is his will. You don't have to say, well, he may not want to. No, that is a lie. If God said, I am the Lord that heals you, he is indeed Yahweh Rophika. He is God who heals. No question about it. I asked the question, what do we believe? Because a lot of folks say, well, I know he can, but I don't know that he will. That's why we teach. Why would God say to us, I'm the Lord who heals you, only to deny that later? To change his mind. Why would he change his mind? If God changes his mind or repents about something that he has said, then we can't take him for anything. But that's the modern church. Well, you know, don't get your hopes up. That's what the medical world tells me. Don't get my hopes up. And that's what the church world says. But don't get your hopes up. Stay in some limbo about uncertainty the rest of your religious life. Baloney or baloney. (laughs) That's not... (laughs) I never said it like that before, but that... That's a bunch of baloney. God doesn't make promises and then say no. How many of you know the Bible is forever settled in heaven? Nothing's going to be changed. Nothing will ever change. This word is is like engraved in granite in heaven or whatever cannot be changed. Me and you in this last day, We're the recipients of all of this. If anybody has the potential to have the kind of faith that pleases God, we do. The revelation that God has given to us is wonderful. The operation of his spirit to reveal that truth to you and make you certain about God's will. That's a wonderful thing. God has given that to us. But there's another kind of promise that Throws a lot of people for a loop. We have specific promises. We know that's God's will. Then there's general promises. This is that inspiration that God gives to you personally about something. Buy, sell, missionary trip. Should I do this or give that? Or what am I going to do about my wife, my child, my parents? I don't know. How many of you know there's some things that God's will is only revealed to you, but not specifically? I mean, you can't point to a particular promise, but it's something that's in your heart. For example, Mark eleven twenty four 24 says what? 
You don't have to turn to that. You know that. Mark eleven twenty four says what things. Now, this is not something defined or specific, but it's something that's in your personal heart. What things soever you desire. When you pray, believe. That's the only condition he gets. Now, what's in my heart, I, you know, if I'm covetous and I want one of these, I want to win the lottery, Lord, give me the lottery and the Kentucky whatever Powerball. Give me all of that. You're not going to get that because that's a greedy request you might have. So you can ask for anything you want to. But there's some things that God puts in your heart. I remember claiming a better used car once. I couldn't find car in the concordance. No, there was nothing in the Bible about Jesus never mentioned automobile once. I don't think the word chariot is even in the New Testament. But it was in my heart. Lord, my car, the one I'm driving, whew, Lord. And then it came one night in church service. I think it was a church service. I'm listening to whatever the preacher was saying, but I'm listening more to what, what he said that inspired some thinking in my life. And I thought, you know what? I can believe God for a better car. I don't know how he'll do it. That's his business, but I can believe that he's going to do it, that he will do it. So I did. I want to thank the Lord for a better used car. Well, better what? Well, a better used car. Where is it? I have no idea get up in the day and say, thank you, Lord, for a used car. Thank you for a better car. Getting in the one I'm driving, it kept getting worse after you claim a better one, and the one you're in gets worse. But, and one day, envelope came in the mail. $3,000 cash. This is 1973. That was about what it took. A brand new car. Or $3,000 cash. Two days later, phone call, instruction, take that money, go to a certain dealer, and pick up your new car. And I went and I thought, well, I didn't claim a new one. No, but God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or think. There was a time we lived in Versailles, Indiana. And I think the only car we had was David's car. The one your dad gave to him, that was our family car. Give me the keys to that car, boy. <laughs> I went up to a meeting in Cleveland, Ohio one night, full gospel businessmen's meeting. The guy that I was with told me that a certain man in that meeting was going to give me his car. And I'm thinking, oh, what makes you so spiritual? Well, you know, that's how we are with each other. We don't think each of us, you know, can hear from God like that. But he's going to give you a car. Right. Okay. Praise the Lord. So I gave my testimony at the meeting that night and went back to the room. And that guy said, there he is. I said, you don't know. So I opened the door, and there he was. He had a thick envelope in his hand. Came in the room, thanked me for what I had to say, and was really blessed, and said, I want you to give you this. I think the Lord put it on my heart to do it. And it's out in the parking lot. Thank you. And, I'm, and he left. It was a Lincoln Continental, a year old. I didn't say, man, I can't be humble driving stuff like that. Quit. It was a two-tone tan Lincoln town car. And that guy's with us, I told you. I remember walking out in the lot under the street light, looking at that thing going, Phew. and then the reminder, my God. He didn't say, my God shall deliver David from his parents <laughs> driving his car. <laughs> but he said, my God shall supply all your needs. I don't think I've ever told you all that story before. I got a bunch of them. You claim a car, you claim a home. See, a house is specific. In fact, the word houses plural is in the Bible. But I claimed one, and I've had two or three. Of course, a lot of them by, you know, death and inheritance and all. But I look at my life and I think, you know, all, Mark eleven twenty four has worked for me. I mean, from everything from washing machines, but that's not in a concordance. Carpet, that's not in a concordance. A trip to some place, that's not in the Bible. But God can put that in your heart as his will. 
Somebody else may challenge it. Other people may say, well, I'm going to do it because Hamilton did. It won't work for you. It's got to be in your heart. God uses general things like that. He puts things, inspires things in your heart. That's his will. Now, that's where it gets complicated because it's hard to explain to people some of these things. It's hard to show them how that that was God's will for you. And we're people in this world that are recipients of the wonders of God. There's no end to the wonders that God can do in our lives, at the way he can lead us, the things that he can show us, just like direction. How many times have you needed direction in your family, in your life? You didn't know the will of God. I was in Shelbyville, Kentucky, 1979, lived on Main Street. Some of you didn't know that. I've been here twice, <laughs> 79. Some of the folks here wanted to get a church started. There was no way, because I used to confess all those years I traveled, all those Many, many, many preachers I spent a weekend with, I ain't never going to do what they're doing. I wouldn't pastor a church if you gave me a church. And then this Chevyville crowd said, we want a church. And I said, I'm gone. So I moved. I went to Brussels, Indiana. <laughs> spent five years there. It was like in the Sahara. In a desert with no oasis. And five years later, I'll go anywhere. Just And he pointed back. I said, uh, why Shelbyville? That's in your heart. Now, I'm going to go to another town. And my heart said, you know, that ain't going to work. That's not what the Lord said. Now, nobody else knows this, but between you and God, there's a no. But you're trying to kid yourself. Oh, it's all right. Because, well, look, they got this, they got that, and I could do... You know, you're trying to manufacture God's will in your own heart, but you know in your heart that's not going to work. Well, what am I going to do, Shelbyville? There's this peace. Oh, Shelbyville. I, I can't go, but I've already been there once. Shelbyville. How many of you believe that in that way God could put into your heart his will for your life? There'd be mothers say, why would you want to go back there? Nothing going on there. You know, the guy I've replaced said it, and it's Ichabod's written over this place. And I said, here I am riding into Ichabod with a, with a new Bible. And here we are. I would say it's been the Lord's will for the last 30-some years. I've lived here longer than anywhere I've ever lived in my life. I'm one of y'all. Well... Most of y'all aren't from here. <laughs> Turn to First John chapter 5. We'll spend the rest of today and the rest of next week on this verse. What can we believe? Well, you'll find out here. Verse 14. And this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask... Anything that is according to his will, he hears us. And if we know, if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, then what do we know? Then we know that we have the petitions that we have desired of him. Is that true? Our request is met. I have what I have asked for. Well, how do you know you do? You can't see it. How do you know you've been healed? You don't feel it. How do you know you got a solution here? You haven't seen it. Let me see. I think the Bible still says faith is the evidence of things not seen. Kind of like that paradox that Moses saw him who is invisible. How is that possible? That's what a paradox is. Contradiction. How can you see somebody who is invisible? How can this be? But he said this is the confidence that we can have. 
The kind of work that God does in our hearts, you and me, the work that God does in us is such that we can have confidence in what we can't see. The word confidence simply means boldness of speech. It's a glad confession of which you are certain of his content. To have confidence in God is to say, I believe God. Acts 27, 25, Paul said on that ship that was about to crash and was breaking up, had a promise from that night. He said a messenger from God, an angel, had told him that there would be no loss of life. You'll, be, you'll lose the ship in its content, but everybody will be spared. And Paul said while the ship is breaking up and a man is losing his life savings, he said, be of good cheer. I believe God. That's his bold speech. How many would say that in a time like that? He said, I believe God. It shall be even as it was told me. None of y'all are going to die. Everybody's going to live. Sorry, Captain, about your money and your boat, but we're all going to live. That's what confidence means here. See, there's a confidence that's an inward certainty. A confidence is an inward assurance of something. This word is not that word, but it says about what that word says. I am so sure that what God has shown me that I am willing to boldly confess it before others. God's going to give me a new car, a new used car. God is going to restore my health. God is going to put a new eyeball back in my socket or God is going to give me whatever it is I'm believing for. God is going to get my wife out of jail or my husband out of jail or he's going to deliver my son from drugs. Everybody may know how desperate and bad all of that is, but yet God has no problem with anything hard. Nothing is too difficult for God. And so that drops in your heart. Your heart embraces that and you say, boldly, God's going to deliver us from that. God's going to supply this need. God will do it. And the moment you take a stand, everybody begins to watch you. Even the so-called believers, they say, well, what's he into now? What's she up to now? We should all be like that. We should all be willing to confess with our mouth what we believe. But so many people are not really sure of what they say they believe. I ask the question, what can we believe? I know all the pat answers. Well, the will of the Lord, so on and so forth. Do you know what it is? Are you willing to act like it's true? What about being holy? Can you believe to be holy? There's a certain action that demonstrates it. There are a lot of things are going to have to die and go to the cross for you to live holy. You can say anything you want about holy. You can say anything you want, period. But only what is demonstrated is what you believe. Let me tell you something. I already said it once. And what comes out of your heart is the reason you act the way you act because that's really what's in your heart. Whether you whimper, whine, moan, groan, complain, criticize, backbite, or you worship and you praise and you've got this continuous smile and joy in your life. That's in your heart. I don't care what you hear, what you're hearing. I don't care how long you've been sitting here listening to it. It's the way you live that evidences what is really in your heart. This is the confidence. Confidence. This is the boldness of speech that we have. One more verse before we leave. 2 Corinthians 4, at verse 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and verse 13. Is the word spirit of faith there? Huh. That'd make a good sermon. We having, in referencing the Old Testament now, Bring it into the context of what he's saying to the New Testament, which is us. He said, we having the same spirit of faith as it is written. He said, I have believed and therefore have I spoken. We believe and therefore we speak. Something like that. Does it say something similar to that? Okay, we're close. 
Does that mean then that if you believe, you speak? He said, we having the same spirit of faith. I hope I've got that. I hope that the inspiration of God's spirit has so inspired me that I am known for having faith. Or at least trying with the faith I have. I don't have all of it, and I can't do anything, but what he's given me to do, that I'm comfortable with, and I'm assured of that. Oh, I'd love to go to the hospitals and empty all the hospitals. I would. I'd like to go down and just go into the hospital and start touching every room, and all them little, little kids just become normal and whole and walk out of there and play like kids ought to play. I'd like to be able to do that, but I do not believe I can do that. That's possible to be done, isn't it? Because yeah. nothing's too hard for God. But you can't just do it because you want to. you got to believe it. And you cannot believe anything that God has not inspired. I don't care who you are. Jesus is the author of our faith. Is he not? Jesus is the author of our faith. Lord, help my unbelief was evidence the fact that a man said, you know... I probably don't have everything I need, but God, I want to. And he got it. But he said, we having the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore we speak. What do we speak? Didn't Matthew 12, now somebody help me here if I get this wrong, because I know some of you are sticklers. I'm glad about that. I like that. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Doesn't it say that? So what comes out of your mouth actually came out of your heart. Now, if thy word I have hidden in my heart, and I'm assured of it, I'll say it. Even though it embarrasses me in public. <laughs> he said he can lay hands on the sick. Or, the, or, you know, he can do all things through Christ. He can't do anything. I'm ready for that. I don't care if they doubt it. I just don't want to doubt it. But he said, I believe and therefore I speak. That's what you do. If you believe what God said, you say it. But it does you no good to say it if you don't believe it. Are you with me? And if you believe it, you live like it's true. How many of you believe you're saved? Well, the only way we can know. I don't care what you did at an altar prayer 30 years ago when you held up your hand when you were crying your heart out because of your sin. That's fine. A lot of drunks have done that. A lot of sinful men who never turned from their sins have done that. But when you believe, you turn away from all that stuff. We ought to preach on conversion and convictions. We did that the other day. Remember I was beating on this wall? When you're saved, you turn away from all that stuff. And the faith that turns you away will stay with you, guide you, and motivate you for the rest of your life. It does not stop. The faith that saves me is the faith that continues with me. What it did over here, it keeps doing. It brought me to Christ. It'll bring me to the deeper things of God. I've got to believe. My faith is fed on the word of God. I need to hear the word. Teach me thy way that I might walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to feel. All of that. I need thee, oh, I need thee. I'm glad to hear these other guys speak here. I like to sit and listen to a good message. I like to challenge. I do. I'm looking for. Somewhere there's a good, true, and honest revival. Hopefully in some little country church somewhere, there's somebody got some fire. And I want to go in and sit in there and listen to it. I love it. When I got saved, that was my whole life was revival. And getting folks saved, passing out tracts, and witnessing on saved. That's all I did. And I love to hear somebody preach a good salvation message. I do. If any of you young men are going to be preachers, one message you've got to have and preach once every year is you must be born again. Because if you're not that, everything else we're doing won't mount the hill of beans. Amen. Bow your head with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. 
We thank you for the work you're doing. I just pray that you will find us eager and hungry and desiring more of what you have. Find us like little children standing in awe before you, just wanting to be close to you, wanting your acceptance. Give us everything that we need to be drawn near and close and live on your terms. We ask you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen.